Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to the August 24th, 2017 Sacramento City Plan and Design Commission meeting. Um, everyone in attendance may silence your electronic devices or put them on vibrate. Uh, we'll start with roll call uh, to start the meeting. Commissioner Bodipo Memba? Here. Bofaso? Here. Coville? Hoffman? Lindsay? Here. Farrell? Here. Buckybaum? Here. Rogers? Here. Juan Connolly? Here. Yee? Here. Ogilvy? Here. Vice Chair Lucian? Here. Chair Burke? Here. We have a quorum. Commissioner Ogilvy? We'll start with approval of the minutes from the July 27th meeting. Adoption. Second. We have a motion from Commissioner LaFonso, a second from Commissioner Bodipa Member. Uh, we'll take a roll call. Commissioner Bodipa Member? Aye. LaFonso? Here. Uh, aye, Ronnie. <laughs> Lindsay? Aye. Carol? Hello. Lucky Bomb? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. E? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Aye. Chair Burke? Aye. Motion passes. Uh, we'll go to the director's report next. I have one item for you this evening. I wanted to um, let the commission know about a couple of staff changes that have occurred with within the planning division. Um, uh, Arwen Watt, who is one of the, was a planner with the division for um, many years, has taken a position still within the city, but with our public improvement financing group. Um, so we're really pleased for her and um, as she takes this next step in her career. Um, we still may see her out in the audience on various projects. Um, and Antonio Ablog, who is our senior planner for the South area, has taken a job as the planning manager for the city of Elk Grove. Um, so we are really very proud of both of them um, and wish them so much luck in the future. And we'll begin the process of um, recruiting to replace them. That's all I have. Thank you, Director. Uh, we'll go to the public uh, hearings. Um, I just want the, uh, the folks of the audience to know that uh, item number four has been continued. Uh, if you're here for item number four, it's been continued. To September 7th. Um, staff would also talk about that, but we'll start with item number three now. Any other uh, commission disclosures, uh, ex parte communication for item number three? That's the creamery. Any recusals, disclosures? Commissioner Wong Conley? Um. We actually made an offer to one of the property that within the uh, 500 feet from the proposed project, so I uh, will recuse myself for this project. Thank you. Where do I go? Ms. Hange? Hello, Chair Burke, members of the commission. My name is Teresa Hange with the Community Development Department, and I'm here with a request from the applicant to set, subdivide approximately 0.28 acres and construct five single unit dwellings in the multifamily zone. That's the R3A zone. In 2014, the Planning and Design Commission approved a tentative map for 117 units. 
uh, single unit dwellings and house designs for a project known as the Creamery. The proposed project associated with this report, the Creamery 5, is an extension of the Creamery project and includes a tentative map and house plans for five single unit dwellings on property adjacent to the original Creamery project. The developer did not have possession of the lot associated with this project at the time of the original Creamery um, project when it was proposed. Um, therefore, they're returning now with the Creamery 5 project. Staff recommends approval of this project, and the entitlements include a tentative map and site plan and design review. And just, can we have an overhead, please? And also, just for quick reference, the original, original Creamery project was this area right here. And this is 10th Street and East Street. And then this yellow area is the project that's before you today. And a representative of Black Pine Communities, which is the applicant, is here today. Um, they don't wish to make a presentation, but they are here to have, answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Commissioners, comments, questions? Any public comment on this item? Public comment, seeing none. Uh, Commissioner Rogers. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question about the side yard setback of uh, one foot, and if there was a, a plan for maintenance of that side of the structure. Yes, what was the question? I noticed on the tentative map that it's showing a property line offset setback of one foot mm -hmm. on one side. And so the, the question is if the property owner had to maintain that side of the structure, is there an easement on the adjacent property that would give them rights to access that to do their work? Actually, staff would like to defer that one to the applicant. I, I can answer that question for you. So, um, there's a. Base, like, for the, the microphone, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Say, say your name and. Oh, right here. Sorry, I'm John Kuntz with uh, Black Pine Communities. Um, there's a one foot side yard easement on one side of our properties, a three foot on the other. There's an easement for one property owner to take the full four feet um, to allow access for trash cans. Perfect. So that on every property line with one foot, there's a, an additional three-foot easement on the adjacent property. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's all I had. Thank you, Commissioner Rogers. Commissioner LaFossil. Thank you, Mr. Chair. First, I'm going to move the staff recommendation. Second, second thank you, Mr. Coville. Sorry. Don't want... A motion by Commissioner LaFossil, second by Commissioner Coville. Uh, just two quick comments. One, uh, and on my list of things to do to revisit the maps we did in May of 2014 when we originally approved this project, and I will say for the record, this is one of my happier memories as a planning commissioner. Not only has the project been extremely well received, but those who uh, weren't around at the time may not realize that this is, this is one of the very few projects where this commission rejected a project for not being dense enough and densified it by 18 units on the second round. Um, also, I remember vexing over this little piece of land when we were doing the approvals 
And I thought the edge was really jagged at the time. And I, as I was looking at these plans, I was really impressed at how smoothly uh, this plan weaves into that hole um, that somehow I didn't see it when we did that way back when. So um, uh, all positive comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. More Commissioner comments, questions? Public comment again? Okay. We'll take the roll. Commissioner Farrell? Aye. Lucky Bond? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Ogilvie? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Oville? Aye. LaFaso? Aye. Odipo Memba? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Aye. Chair Burke? All right. Motion passes. Fantastic. Let's remind everyone, item number four, the luxury motor cars, auto sales has been continued to September 7th. We'll go to item number five, the Dita Salon, um, Ms. Patterson and Ms. Lind from the Planning Department. Good evening, members of the Commission. My name is Miriam Lim, and I'm the assigned planner for project number P17021, also known as the Dita Salon, located at 3247 Franklin Boulevard. In evaluation of the project, staff deemed the project to be non-controversial. Before you use an application to remodel an existing building to develop a hair salon on a site that's approximately 0 0.09 acres or 3,862 square feet in a single unit dwelling R1 zone. The applicant is requesting entitlements for a conditional use permit to reestablish and expand a non-conforming use in the R1 zone and site plan and design review with a deviation for lot coverage to remodel and add 363 square feet to the existing building, an exterior garden, and a courtyard. After notifications were sent to property owners and neighborhood associations, staff did not receive any calls or email. I have a correction that I would like to mention for the record regarding the findings on page 13 related to the lot coverage deviation. The lot coverage deviation was discussed in the staff report and was in the public notice for the project, but it was accidentally left out in the findings language. I provided you some revised language for the site plan and design review findings. This correction does not change the scope of the project. Staff supports the project as noted in the staff report and recommends the commission approve the project. This concludes my presentation and I would like to turn the podium over to the applicant team who will have more details about the project. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Tim Alatori, and I'm the project architect for this, uh, this salon. Actually, I think I'll move over here. This mouse worker. We'll try that. Um, we're really excited to be able to, to do something with this property, and, and I'll go through the history of it in a second. Um, yeah, there we go. So just some context. Uh, we're located where that little red flag is, and we are in a, currently and historically, a, a residential area. And we are a, the lone non-conforming use in that zone. We're right across the street from Bret Hart Elementary School. And uh, pretty close to Highway 99 along Franklin Boulevard. Zooming in a little bit, this just shows uh, where we're at 
So the building was built in the 1910s, and for a long time, for many decades, it was a family-owned carniceria, and the family still owns the adjacent property, and the current owners of the property, my client, the Sivas, uh, they just recently purchased this parcel from the family. So the family's held this property for uh, about a century, I believe. It's passed through the, the different hands. But for the last couple decades, after the, the patriarch of the family passed and the carniceria closed, the building has been primarily vacant. In 2007, there was a brief spell where the, the building was used for a church, but according to city records, I think that was never an, an approved use. It just kind of snuck in there, and, and the cooler and all of the, the meat you know, processing stuff still in there, so they, they never really did a full uh, transition or any remodel. But since at least 2011, the property has been vacant. And um, like I mentioned, this is in the middle of a, you know, a really nice residential area, and, and it's, it's a site that's needed some, some work for some time. Uh, adjacent to the property, as I mentioned, the, the families own this whole corner. So that gray shaded area, if you go out and drive past the site, currently the, the family's been using part of the parcel as parking for their boat. And with the land purchase, they vacated that portion of the property, and I'll, I'll show you what things we have in store for that now. Uh, just a little bit about the Dita Salon. So the Dita is uh, it's a fixture in Sacramento. Their current location is off of 34th Street, and it's just this really beautiful building. I'm not sure if you've, if you've been by there, but it's got a lot of character. The building was owned for a long time by a local artist, and so the, the building just has a lot of uh, little things that the artist created, little details and, and bright colors and and texture to it, and it's a, it's a beautiful location. But unfortunately, it's not owned by the, the Sivas or the Salon. They're, they're leasing the space. And so they're excited to be able to finally purchase a property and, and make themselves a permanent home. But this character and this craftsmanship and this um, idea is something they want to carry over into the new project. So the inspiration, here are some of the photos that we, uh, we've put together as inspiration for the projects. And again, lots of life and energy and colors so this is what we're proposing for the building. Uh, you can see that right in the top right, the existing west elevation. Uh, there's a, a decaying metal canopy that we're planning on removing, and we're going to be doing some facade treatments, uh, removing the, the brick veneer that's, that's dilapidated and falling apart, uh, you know, putting in all new windows, a new accessible storefront. And then on the left-hand side, we're currently, it's a little bit hard to see in, in the projector, I'm not sure if you can see in yours, but where the boat's being stored. We're proposing putting up a, a screen wall there with, with glass and a planter box, and that's going to open into a private courtyard in the garden, which I'll show you in, in a minute. And then around the, the other side of the property, along uh, the side street, again, removing the canopy. We're going to be removing some of the windows at, at street level on that facade and, and putting them up higher so they're uh, primarily for light and not looking at the neighboring residents across the street, uh, and then taking down what I believe to be a non uh, well, it's definitely non-conforming, but non-permitted addition off the back, and then rebuilding that. And one of the things we're trying to do, and I, and I think um, I think we're doing quite nicely, we're trying to transition from this non-conforming commercial use into the neighboring property. So you can see from the, the corners, the high point in the building, and then we're stepping it down back to the pedestrian and residential scale. And then around the back of the property, as we face the adjacent residence, uh, we're going 
again, to a, a much more residential look. We're going to have a, an outdoor courtyard, and that graphic in the lower left is the inspiration for this courtyard. So we're going to have a, a beautiful uh, screen wall with some perforations in it and some, some logs and timber over the top with vines growing on it, creating a, a little um, a refuge, if you will, in the back. And then on the, site, on the side where the boat is, if you look at the north elevation there, uh, we're going to have a fountain and a seating area. Uh, it's just going to be a very inviting, nice outdoor space. And here you can see it in plan view. So along the north side there, uh, we're creating an outdoor patio with a fountain. And then around the back, there'll be another outdoor patio. And that's where we'll have the, the wood timbers and the vines and the plants. And, and uh, just a really nice uh, shady spot for the employees. And also uh, in the front courtyard, for those who are waiting to have their, their, uh, their appointments, they have a, a nice spot to, to wait. And then the, the interior, we're keeping the bulk of the, um, the building intact. And we're proposing an addition off of the north side and then an addition off to the rear, which is really replacing that existing uh, portion of the building, but, again, doing it to code and, and doing it uh, informing. And here are some 3D perspectives just showing what it would look like set in context of the building uh, with its neighbors. And this is the approach coming from 8th back to Franklin as you're leaving the residential area. And again, one thing we're trying to do here is, is that transition from the residential to the, to the commercial use. So the, the portions in the back will be screened by landscaping, and they'll be shorter in elevation, and then the, 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 the bulk of the existing building will be there with its current uh, height of wall. And uh, that concludes my presentation, and I'm, I'm welcome to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you. Commissioner LaFossa. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just one quick question for the applicant. I already tried this with staff. I'm just curious. It's obvious this structure was built with the intention of being a commercial, a light commercial business. And uh, given it's a non-conforming use, I, I imagine the structure was built when the parcel was owned appropriate for this light commercial use. Do you know much about the history of the parcel? Apparently the records aren't so great. Yeah, all I know is, well, we know a little bit from talking with the family. And we know that the building was originally built to be the carniceria. And I would imagine that the, I mean, in 1910, <laughs> the, the zoning laws probably didn't even exist at that time. So at that time, the building was built. And the addition on the back, I'm not sure when that was built. We don't have any records information about that. Uh, and that's, that's the portion I was saying is non-conforming and probably not built with permits. There's definitely some electrical and plumbing work in there that is a bit shady. So. I appreciate that. I will endeavor to put myself in the mindset of Sacramento land use laws circa 1910. I appreciate <laughs> right. it. You're welcome. Thank you, Commissioner LaFasso. Uh, Commissioner Bodipa, member. Thank you, Chair Burke. Just a couple questions, and uh, I'll respectfully defer to uh, Commissioner Yee some more specific design questions, but um, I notice the the first thing that pops out about the project is the the bright pink color and how that stands out from a lot of the other uses on Franklin on Eighth Street. Uh, Could you give me a little bit of of your thought process behind it? I saw the design inspirations, but as to yeah. what the how that fits character wise with the community. Well, for, first I would say that, um, you know, these, these renderings, it's, it's hard to really get a sense of it, which is why we put those concept photos in there. 
we're trying to make this something that is a piece of art, essentially. And the inspiration photos, I can switch back to those. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of a Southwest influence and kind of a, a Latin American influence that we're, we're going for. And so in the context of this community, there, there is quite a bit of uh, variation in the residential architecture. And granted, this is a departure from, from that character. And we're hoping that while being contrasting, again, with the scale and keeping it proportioned to the, you know, to the pedestrians on the sidewalk, that it, it's, a, it's a, a good fit. And um, you know, we're trying to do something that is, is a little bold, and, and we understand that. And, and that is by intention to, to make it something special for the community. Thank you. And then just related to the art piece that you said, uh, both existing and the future proposed uh, design leave a pretty open canvas on the south-facing wall. Are, are there plans to add, I guess, more formal, more formal art design on that wall? Or We did bounce around some ideas on that. Um, we never developed it fully enough to where we felt like we could present something. And so, so right now, um, you know, what we're doing there is, is providing some breaks in the building facade to, to reduce its massing and its visual impact. But we're definitely open to, to something else on that wall. And I think the owners would be open to that as well. Okay. And then just, I noticed also there's, there's currently no trees on the south-facing uh, wall. You propose three smaller street trees on the southeastern side of, of, of the, the building. How's that, go, how's that going to interact with, I guess, the pedestrian experience there on 8th? Would, would those trees be on the edge or? Um, yeah, it's a, I can't read the mention on there, but. I think there, there is a fairly wide sidewalk. I guess would be would be my point, and and um, and I don't think we we ever had a, a serious conversation about the street trees. The the building um, facade is not being proposed to move at all, and the addition of the wall in the back, which uh, is not currently existing, we're stepping that back to allow for for some more landscaping there. Okay. Um, the trees would be a part of that landscaping, but set back from the existing sidewalk? Yes, in the rear portion there. Yeah, and as far as further towards the west, closer to Franklin, um, I'm not aware of anything that we plan to do in the sidewalk, and, and staff can can correct me if that was a requirement that uh, we missed. But the, the city sidewalk is the, the existing width, plus you can see that the, the property line is encroaching in the sidewalk or this or the sidewalks encroaching on the side I'm not sure which way you want to look at it but we're we have an additional two feet or so of sidewalk on the parcel in addition to the city minimum sidewalk and then last last real set of questions and I'll, I'll let the other commissioners uh, add hours of operation days of operation and then anticipate peak uh, operation I'm not that familiar with the salon industry so are you talking seven days a week, five days a week, and then what are traditionally when when are most folks 
actively in, in, in that use. Is that yeah, I was actually glancing to see if the owners had arrived. We, we were last in the agenda, and so we thought we had some time. Um, from what I understand, currently they're open seven days a week, and they open late uh, morning, and they're open till about six or seven or so in the afternoon. And I believe we had submitted that at some point along with our application. I just don't have those numbers in front of me. I, the, the clientele comes throughout the day. The, yeah, they, ha they have a set number of stations, and their current location, they're, they're full pretty much all day, and they're, and they're booked solid. So I would imagine you know, it would be kind of a steady, constant turnover. And the appointments are anywhere from 45 minutes to a couple hours. So it's just um, throughout the day. Right, so it's not like a barbershop where you just show up and sit in the chair as long as you can. To not Adidas alone. No, they're, they're, gotcha. they're booked in advance. Yeah. All right. Okay. Again? I think I have an answer. Well, that, that's all I have for right now. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Bodiba member. Commissioner Yee. Thank you. Uh, following up on those questions, I noticed in a quick count there are 29 stations available for customers, not including waiting and, and that. And if they're booked up, let's say not all the time, but most of the time, uh, and there are no parking spaces required for this project. So um, how do they deal with that uh, the schools across the street. The, this is in primarily a residential neighborhood. Uh, the discussion regarding parking was to uh, focus on the size of the parcel and therefore uh, the absence of a requirement for on-site parking. Um, the staff, or perhaps you know, is it reasonable to expect that there are? enough spaces in, in the community uh, to, to support the number of customers at any one time uh, be parking out there? You know, again, there are 29 stations, and just take half of them, uh, something like 15 right. at one time. Yeah, if, if I could speak to the stations. So it is a little bit misleading in that there's, um, there's different types of stations. And so, for example, in the hair washing station, there's a stylist working with the hair washing that would, and that client would then transition to the styling station. So there wouldn't be a person in both of those stations at any given time. The, the person would be moving from the hair cutting to washing and back. And, and so I, I don't, again, the owners aren't here. They, they could speak more to that. I don't anticipate there being 29 people. That, it wasn't designed for that. Um, and I, I can let staff talk to the, the neighborhood parking situation. I, I guess well, what I'm trying to determine is, let's say that there's a double count because if you're having hair washed, maybe you're not sitting in, in uh, the styling stations, but there are 20 styling stations, so let's count, discount the others. Um, that's still quite a few people, potentially, at one time. And so while it's not required, is, is, is there adequate parking in the community for the number of customers expected at any particular time. Um, I would probably. You can introduce yourself. 
Hi, I'm Angelina Caceres, the owner of Do The Salon Now. Um, at probably at any given time, about 20 people. Plus staff. Yeah, I mean, we never really have, we have that many, we're probably actually not going to do as many stations of, as that, but even that many stations doesn't mean one person Understood. per station. Yeah. Right. So I, I guess I go back to staff with respect to 20 plus potentially is there adequate parking without imposing a hardship on the community what um we've seen in the area is that there of course it is on street parking that there is available on street parking next to the school and in the vicinity of the site uh in general with salons in the past past commissions have discussed salons as opposed to um, other retail uses found that um, they should be treated similar and um, also that like you said the code because of the size of the of the lot that the, it's been made a determination that lots of this size um, do not require parking for commercial uses. Okay. Um, because, with the exception of the school, because uh, it is primarily in a residential area and potential for seven days a week uh, operation business being opened, uh, what was your thought on not having a hours hours and days of operation restriction? Why was it not necessary? Because I don't find it in here, and I apologize if it's here. There is no such a condition, I guess, and the question is why? What thought process? Didn't feel it was necessary. And also with them being open seven days a week, I mean, you could say six and a half of one or the other, but with going as opposed to bunching more people up rather than some salons. I mean, I don't know. Some salons are only open like four days a week. So with them open seven days a week that they can serve their customers and not potentially have as many people instead of having all the people come. Um, Spread them out a little bit more. Is, is your anticipated hours of operation then? What, what do you what what are you planning? What are we now, and what do we? Well, planning? what do you plan for here? Uh, the same as we are now. We're uh, Tuesday through Sunday, uh, nine thirty or no nine to seven, which means that the last cars are arriving around five, um, and then we're closed on Mondays. But we do education. On Monday, so the staff is there taking classes. So, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm looking at the floor plan, floor plan slash site plan, and if I read the wall legend correctly, that's a framed wall around the perimeter of the site. That's correct. Okay, so that's a wood fence. Is actually what it is, or is it actually a, a wall of some type? Yeah, on the perimeter, that would be yeah. a. Uh... A, a stuccoed wall, yes. Oh, a stuccoed wall. Line. Okay, so it is a wall and not a wood fence. That, that's the intention, yes. Okay. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Commissioner Wong Conley. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, so I guess this question is for staff. So I understand we're not changing the zoning, but we are changing, uh, we're giving a CUP for non-conforming use. So, um, and this CUP comes with the property. So from now, if they leave, uh, and then decide somebody else can move in, uh, and then there's no limitation, uh, what's the limitation of uh, other commercial use, or is there such a limitation? So the commercial uses, if the commercial use leaves, um, then you can continue with something that's in the same category and they have to abide by the same conditions. Um, so what kind of condition uh, that we have is specifically uh, applying to them as a, a beauty salon? So any use that goes in that's in the same category that this on the land use chart that this one that this uses in can go in if it meets it meets in the same time frame they can go in and out but they have to meet these conditions okay i see and could you give me some example what other category that uh, will be uh, what other example of the same category Oh, I, I look I, I up their look category. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have the city code up right. Uh, you right. Can, can you get back to me? Um, that's the only question I have. Thank okay. you, Mr. Chair. In, in the interim, why don't we go to Commissioner um, Ogilvy? Thank you. Just um, two very quick items. One, in response to maybe Commissioner Lofaso's question, the staff report mentioned that it was merely zoned um, limited commercial, and that changed in the 50s to, to residential in the early 50s. Um, and then I was just wondering, it looks like there are four bike parking spaces required, but I didn't see them on the site or floor plan. I was just wondering where those are going to be located. Um. My, my thought was be they would be in the courtyard was what the intention was in the back. Okay, yeah. thank you. But yeah, I was just looking to see if we put them on there, but. Um, it might be there and I just Yeah, I thought we had them back the, by that door and the, that gate in the back, but I'm not sure if that's what that is. I need a higher resolution plan. <laughs> courtyard seems like they a would good be in spot. The, they would be in the courtyard. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvy. Commissioner LaFalso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I wanted a little comparative analysis, and uh, I was looking at a Google map of your existing location on 34th Street, just north of Stockton. Oddly, we've spent our fair share of time talking about parking in that particular location. Yeah, I it's can't... been a battle since we've been. <laughs> Sorry? Uh, probably in the last five years, it's been a battle. We've been in that location for 10 years, and then that's part of the reason why we wanted to buy a building and get out of that street because of the parking competition. Ooh, competition. Oh, I was under the impression that this was going to be a second location. Are you moving your shop? We we haven't fully decided. It will depend on staffing. And, you know, I don't know if you know anything about this business, but 
you know, it, it ebbs and flows with like my staff. And so it just depends on if we have enough to support both locations when the time opens or, or not. I follow. The only thing I know about your business is the guy who cuts my hair. I followed him to seven shops in <laughs> 16 it, years. So you do know. The, a little bit. There's a bit. little bit of a fluidity. Yeah. But that said, what I was really going to ask you was I couldn't tell if there's any off-street parking on your existing facility on 34th. And, well, you've sort of half-answered the question with issues about 34th Street, but I was wondering, maybe I'm going down the wrong rabbit hole, but uh, I was trying to get a sense as to what your parking situation is now and if your existing 34th Street location is comparable in size. And can you give us a little comparative analysis on average number of people in the building and how many of them drive and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it's probably, I would say, the same, about 20 throughout the day um, and yes a lot of my staff members ride bikes because the parking is so bad and just because it's Sacramento um, it's a battle you'll see my clients walking down the street with foils in their hair to move their cars and um, yeah, it's definitely a battle and when oh, I first moved there there was no other businesses operating on that street so it's cool to see that the street is like turned into something beyond just me and then a bunch of car garages basically it's essentially what it was before but it has been a problem <laughs> so how are you anticipating this location at 8th avenue and franklin is going to be better especially since there's no off-street parking no other retail around so it was a surprise to us like we moved there we didn't really have a problem we had a couple years of grace and then it turned into what it turned into now i think stuff went on at the cannery and then uh, yeah and that that's really when it shifted fitness rangers kind of made it awesome because people would come park in the morning for one hour and then leave and so that there wouldn't lock up that whole street all day so now that it, i don't know if you remember but now it's 90 minute it's actually made it really great so now we're you know we'd bought this building almost a year ago and been planning to do that and now this, that's why I say I don't know what we're going to do because it was seeming so that we couldn't keep our business there because of the parking, and now there's space for that, if that makes sense, because now people can park. It makes sense. Thank you for your response. Yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFossa. Any other commissioners, comments, questions? Let me, so it's a commercial use. It's in the commercial use category. So other commercial uses, banks, shoe repair. I mean, example of commercial uses that could, so a variety of different commercial uses that could fall in that category, could go in service commercial uses. Like Hair salon services. is considered. Yes. Yeah. Commissioner LaFossa. I was holding my horses to your answer to Commissioner Juan Connolly's question. So if we were, if, if what before us was, say, rezoning this parcel to C1, which obviously is more expensive for the applicant, they'd have to go to city council, they don't want to do that. If we were doing that, we would know, we could go to the code, we'd know what specific commercial uses, and, you know, we've had to slog into what, what's, a, what's a bank and what's a, whatever those things are. So, so any commercial use that would be allowed in C1, any commercial use according to the same rules as C1, these by right, those with the CUP, when you say commercial uses would be allowed with the existing CUP, can you be more specific? 
code used to be more specific and break down many, many, many categories. It, I can look up the definition of commercial service, but, um, and that would, what would be in, so if you want me to read that, I can do that. Um, I'll settle for a high-level answer of broader or less broad than what would be allowed under a C1 zoning category. So the category is in C, so it is C1. It, that commercial service is also found in, in, in other commercial zones, though, too, C2. So it's but, a, but, but, what, but you're saying what would be allowed would be substantially similar to, to if C, it were rezoned to C1? Yes. Got yes. it. I, I think that if we were recommending that the property be rezoned, we would be looking at a C1 zone. Appreciate it. That is a satisfactory answer. You don't got to look it up. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFalsa. Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll take public comment now. Any public comment? Seeing none, we'll take any commissioner comments. We'll close public comment. Take any commissioner comments, motions, concerns, sermons. Commissioner Colville? Yeah, I'd say it's interesting. I've had personally two similar situations where I had properties that had been rezoned, and I can read one of them was a C2, C1, or C2 zoning, and uh, they come through and they want to change it. It was up to the owner of the property to come and say, hey, I'm C2, and I have plans for my C2, don't change my C2 zoning. And I did that on one case, and on another case, I didn't, and I was zoned out because I didn't stand up and say, hey, I got a commercial building here. Um, so I imagine uh, this is probably what happened to this family. It's obviously a commercial building. And uh, driving by it for so many years, I think it, this would be a nice addition. I think the neighborhood would probably like to see something put there other than just an empty building for so many years. And I think it's a good idea. And I'll move the staff recommendation. Thank you. I'll second. We have a motion from Commissioner Colville, second from Commissioner LaFosso. We'll go to uh, Commissioner Odipa member. Thank you, Chair Burke. Um, I, I guess I, I made a mistake at the beginning from a disclosure perspective. I did talk to some neighbors in the area, um, and I, I echo uh, Commissioner Coville's statement about I think there is a demand and desire to see a more positive use of that location, and, and I think that they were excited about the specific use. Yeah, it, I'll just say this is my own taste. Uh, I just think the brightness of the color. Um, I, I like the Southwest influence concept, but I, I would love to see a way to express that, but still make sure it maintains some consistency with that character of that community um, from a visual standpoint. Um, I'm not skilled enough to recommend what that would be. Um, it's not enough for me to not support the motion, but I just wanted that to be on the record that I would, I would hope that uh, the applicant would be open to working with the community as they, as they go through the process to ensure that the look and the feel uh, blends with the existing character of one of our more um, uh, proud communities. So I'm prepared to support the motion by Commissioner Coville. Thank you, Commissioner Bodipa member. Uh, I too want to associate myself with those comments and uh, when I, I drive by that vacant building every day home 
Um, and I think with better eyes on the street watching a school than clients at a beauty salon. So um, with that, I'd like to call the roll. Commissioner LaFaso? Aye. Odipo member? Aye. Oville? Aye. Hoffman? Oh, Lindsay? Aye. Carol? Aye. Lucky Bomb? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Connolly? Aye. D. Ogilvy? Aye. Vice Chair Lucian? Aye. Chair Burke? Aye. Motion passes. Congratulations. Woo! <laughs> Are you <laughing? laughs> I don't know if I can say something to that color of the building. Um, one of the. Um, well, for the from the microphone, ma'am, real quickly. I thought that could be a concern, and um, we'll definitely consider if people are really responding, you know, negatively. But part of it actually was um, something I had heard a story about, like seeing the same things all the time and uplifting a community. And I know that school. I know a lot of parents who have chosen to go to that school, and it's been not that great and decided to go other places. So there is a little bit of a woo-woo in there for me to like kind of change the perception and change the energy of that corner. And, <clears throat> sorry, I'm nervous for some reason. Um, so just I think that there's a possibility that something a little bit off like that can actually perk up the mood and show what's possible to the kids in that school. So I don't know if that rings a bell to anybody, but... All right, thank you guys so much. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Next, colleagues, we'll go to uh, an informational item, item number six, the Sacramento Valley Station Concept Master Plan. Uh, Mr. Taylor um, has a short presentation. <laughs> sure. Everyone can leave early tonight. Thank you, Chair and Commission. Uh, it's my pleasure to be before you tonight to give you a status report on our progress on our third phase of the Sacramento Valley Station. I don't know if I'm supposed to cue this up or... So like I was saying, this is um, beginning of what we have as three phases for the site. And um, just using this slide up, um, see the, the uh, diagonal of the triangle in this blue area on the north side is our um, tracks next to the historic shops. That's the, that was the first phase. The building has been phase two and then filling in between the tracks and the building is really largely phase three, which you see within this kind of turquoise blue shaded area of the project. So um, I'll just give you a brief brief highlight. Um, I would just like to report out first um, some great news we've been having with phase two. And if you haven't been able to get down the station, I'd uh, highly encourage that you go down there and take a look for yourself and see what you think. Um, we've received six awards so far, and I was able to report out to the Preservation Commission last week that we 
took the sweep in the uh, 2017 California Preservation Foundation Awards with the trustee award for the project, so we're really happy about that. And um, we're actively um, working on leasing the, the building out. We, I think you may have heard by now, uh, McClatchy is bringing their West Coast Video Lab into the second floor on the east side of the building. Uh, we've got uh, Sandwich Shop. Uh, we're getting close to getting... Uh, them started on the ground floor, and we've had various uses for other uh, areas of the first floor. So we're actually a little bit ahead of schedule where we're hoping on the tenanting. So that's great news. Um, and just a couple images here on the interior, the restoration of the interior. And then uh, looking at the overall site view. So this kind of leads into um, kind of the context that we're working with. And I just have a, two or three slides here just kind of frame for you. Uh, the future of the station and really uh, the future of uh, rail transportation and, and uh, multi-use transportation in Sacramento's future. Um, these are two slides um, showing in two ways the concept of the Northern California mega region that um, our partners Capital Corridor is really working to build their service towards. Uh, the right photo shows the sub-regions within that where the, the top blue area in the SACOG area all the way down to the Mendocino County of knitting the region together with um, faster, more efficient service, uh, working towards dedicated passenger rail in the future, electrified. So really a high-speed service down the uh, current line that we enjoy through Davis and so forth is, is a long-term goal for that service. And within that, we're going to see an increase in the number of trains at the station. Currently, there's about one train an hour increasing to four, but this is just the capital corridor service. This is not including the California high-speed rail connections, uh, eventual connections of uh, San Joaquin's and even Altamont Commuter Express. However, we do have in January a new service coming from the Central Valley via the San Joaquin's. It's, it's not an addition of trains, but a rearranging of their schedule. They have some uh, money that was allowed for them to start instead of from Bakersfield to get to Sacramento and arriving at about 11 o'clock, which doesn't help anybody getting to work on time, uh, to be able to leave from Fresno and arrive here at Sacramento before 8 o'clock. And it, the schedule will be such that you can do a half day or a full day of business here in Sacramento and return down the valley. So that's, that's a big step forward for the Central Valley commute. So to our project, and just a few slides, I won't keep you long, but um, we uh, have a great uh, dual team here of Grimshaw Architects out of New York City. They're a London-based firm, but New York and just recently opened an office in Los Angeles that's helping on our travel budget for the project. And then we have Perkins and Will that's our urban design lead team, along with Arup out of San Francisco, Nelson Nygaard, who's done a number of projects for us here in Sacramento, the Broadway Corridor, and uh, AIM Consulting and EPS for, um, for our uh, land use look. And really the, the three, four main goals that we're moving forward in the project, and this was an uh, initial study we're doing for one year funded by a state grant from the, uh, uh, administered by the, the California Resources Department, um, and we're really looking to make the, the station a, a great destination and place for Sacramento and catalyze the new development around it, uh, not only on-site but particularly around downtown and the rail yards development. Um, but really mobility is at the core to making sure that this, um, this plan functions for the future. We're looking out to as far as 2040 in the planning that you'll see here. 
um, which creates some challenges and still some unknowns about the rail service, but trying to get a sense of what that projected uh, future will be for our capacities, um, providing ease of connectivity, um, looking at the future of the automobile, um, autonomous vehicles, Uber, Lyft, drop-off, how that kind of balances with uh, parking in the future and what that demand might look like. I'm glad to talk about that with, through questions. Um, but really, that all culminates in the user experience and really creating a diverse mix and uh, real legible urban environment that, that knits not only the, the center of the station but ties all the, uh, the context in and around it and doing so in a way that's very sustainable, um, looking at the natural systems and really creating um, equi social equity, equity um, for the station and travel and mobility and, and diversity of housing options in and around the station. So the charge the, to the uh, consultants for what was a rather limited grant uh, for this one year, and it will continue on uh, beyond that, um, but was to uh, look at two options. And we had a large, robust analysis uh, section of the, the, in the first year um, and a lot of, lot of study, but we've kind of called it down to two options right now that we will, will progress forward, take comment on, and from that we'll eventually get to a preferred option. But the two, um, the diagrams that you see in the two top images, one is the, uh, what we call option one is a more linear connection, and uh, the second one is a more compact option, which both result in different um, configurations. There's a lot, lot of commonalities that the sites kind of overall we found kind of dictates, but really about what is the front door, what is the connections um, to, the, to the city, uh, relationship to the station, and relationship to the rail yards. And to the rail yards, it's really a common connection that we're relying on the plazas designed in the, in the rail yards developed along the central shops to be the pedestrian link to the north side of the station on the north side of the tracks, and that's indicated by the the dot at the uh, apex of that, that um, roadway network in the rail yards, and then the dot representing um, H Street on option one, and on the right side is Fifth Street, and that's a little blow up there in the, in the lower uh, areas. So from a just high level, I'm not getting too deep into this, um, but just the overall schematics of, of option one, the relationship, and uh, this gives you a little closer view. We're really looking towards the future, and again, we're, we're, these concepts are out to 2040. We're working on phasing that starts to get us on each of these concepts to evolve, but really to try and tie to the waterfront uh, that the city's now really focused on and getting back to the waterfront. So the, the change in, in the parking dynamics that currently exist, um, connecting H Street through to Old Sacramento in a very gentle way, slow street, uh, connecting into Old Town, providing more pedestrian opportunities, and options, two above grade options for connecting um, across the tracks, primarily through the main concourse spine that you see to the right, and a secondary connection uh, to the western side of the old shops where the um, Railroad Technology Museum is scheduled to be. And then at the front, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, really moving towards um, evolving the front of the station from a parking lot to a civic space and plaza. And um, we've actually been bold here and presented this also to the Preservation Commission about looking to bracketing and scaling the front space down, possibly with um, development on the corners and looking at um, I Street. And I'll talk to you about a little bit of I Street towards the end of the project. And option two, um, kind of same view, really get into it here. You see the, the concourse over the tracks, a more compact um, 
uh, and and pull, pulls the energy more towards the tracks and, and the transfers that happen, and that'll be in the next slide to illustrate that. And um, and the development um, is a little uh, different relationship pulled away from the historic station. So this is a quick diagram that shows the components of transportation. Uh, we're foreseeing uh, where it says drop off that streetcar coming in, and that that project will be starting in 2019. And that just uh, coincides. Actually, it has to happen first. Uh, light rail, that lime green. Um, shape to the north-south um, is uh, the relocation of the light rail tracks that currently are behind the station. Those move to north-south direction, allowing streetcar to come in um, behind the station. Purple is a new bus circulator, and that's to be designed more like an airport gate system. So at uh, 351, you know, bus, RT bus number 30 arrives at gate 5, and you know, 20 minutes later, it could be Greyhound over there. So we'd be able to bring in all modes, and they would shuttle in through, coming in via um, F Street and 7th uh, to the east and uh, connecting to 3rd Street um, going to the south. And then option two is very similar, which is that drop-off change along 5th Street. So from a land use point of view, um, we're really looking at what what is the right density that... Um, creates a very vibrant district around the station, but not just the station area itself, but the whole within a half-mile radius of the station, including downtown and the rail yards. So what, what densities, what mixes of jobs and housing balance creates environments like this? You have Toronto on the left and, and Mission Rock uh, on the bottom left, and then two images from the rail yards uh, specific plan. What our consultants have found in their work... Um, really across the nation and, uh, and abroad, is that that population of about 20,000 people per square mile is really a good baseline uh, approximate target for um, creating that diversity and that intensity that we're, we all desire in our urban streets and, and want to aspire to. And you can see here that um, currently uh, the resident population is, is quite diminished in the, the first red bar and existing, but with the planned um, for this includes rail, rail yards and downtown as well, um, we get into that threshold very nicely. For the jobs balance, the, the look of the target is t six jobs per every resident. And since we have very little residential and high jobs, we exceed that right now in our red bar. But that will come back down in proportion um, going forward. But you can kind of see how that uh, plans out with other uh, cities. So this is the catchment area that I was speaking of. There are ex existing context on the on the left, and this has all been done through analysis of the current plan and um, and what we're looking at on on the right. And I'd be glad to come back to that with you if you have more questions. So this results in um, this type of form and uh, and density that uh, that we're foreseeing right now is kind of a first pass. Um, you see the station there um, bracketed by uh, two blue buildings. This is showing the freeway on-ramps um, there to the west, um, more office development to the, to the west of the, the linear station concourse, and this scheme has more residential with uh, some ho uh, hotel use uh, along 5th Street. We see 5th Street as being a very important 
street uh, for activation throughout the city and, and carrying that energy up and over the tracks that um, we want to energize Fifth Street. This scheme does uh, build on Lot 40 as an independent piece, and, and Lot 40 is in our development plan. It is owned by the Downtown Rail Yards Ventures, as is the REA building next to the, um, the depot just um, uh, along Fifth Street. Those are in our plan area. And we're looking at, again at how these, these options to move forward and not trying to plan it for them, but to look in the whole context of, of the station itself. So in option two, you see an option that, as, as I mentioned, pulls the energy for the transit and the concourse to the north side and brings more intensive development to the south. And in this option, lot 40, it's very narrow um, at its base. Um, this would enable a possibility of the city to... Um, go into contracts or sell development air rights to uh, or some sort of joint venture between Lot 40 and the city to uh, plan for larger floor plates because this shows an office uh, floor plate that is wider than the site and, and that would be uh, a pretty strong difference between the two because it also raises uh, more of a podium level in the scheme and pulls the energy up uh, above the uh, street at 8th Street where, and, and also uh, connects the the Fifth Street entrance that I mentioned. And Fifth Street does come into the, the play at G because it's about 17 feet above grade, so both schemes take advantage of that midpoint um, right behind the courthouse. You see the tall mass. I don't have a pointer here to show, but you can see the federal courthouse building, and that's massing for um, the potential new um, Sacramento County courthouse building that's being designed now. So, like I said, we're... Um, we're in our 2017 phase in October. I invite you, we just got confirmation October 16th, which is a Monday. We'll have the mayor and the congresswoman will be in town. We're going to have an open house at the station and the north side uh, green room to kind of have a public display, more, more detailed conceptual renderings to really um, capture the essence of the project and, and receive public comment because we'll be moving into 2018 with more detailed studies that will inform us towards a process in, in 19 towards starting to move towards a preferred plan. And I'll just close with um, one study that's sort of on everybody's mind and alluded to in the presentation is the I-5 and the, and the ramps. Uh, there's um, possibly an opportunity for a new look uh, at the ramps because of the the new project that we're moving forward with uh, the I Street Bridge relocating the, the vehicular traffic um, uh, west of rail yards and the infrastructure going up to the current I Street Bridge that is the road and rail bridge um, will be uh, demolished and that actually may open some opportunities for rethinking the rampway connections. So you see here, uh, this is an image from 1998 when the I-5 ramps came in and pretty much walled off the, uh, the station. You can see the the, the top image is historic and, and back some time, but then it was literally walled off in the, in the middle photo on the right. And then just before our phase two project, we were able to move the ramps west and get a pedestrian crossing in that we then carried a little further in phase two to, to actually create that pedestrian walk through the parking lot. And it's kind of a first step of really connecting to the building. So um, this idea of trying to think about the ramps, think about what... Um, uh, could happen below the freeway. Um, we've, we've taken some steps and some very sketchy s sketches within our process that we're going to take further with um, 
with more further study and look at the geometries from Caltrans. But we've also looked at, you know, what can happen underneath the freeway, and these are a collection of images from around the world of what um, can happen um, under the freeway and be still a delightful space and can help carry us to the waterfront and, and connect. So with that, I'll be glad to entertain uh, comments and questions, and I think I can stay as long as you want. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Uh, we have a question or comment from Commissioner Yee. Thank you. Uh, great presentation. If you could project up either option one or two. Uh, In that form or the site plan? Oh, this, this is good. Okay. So for orientation purposes, the gray building with a 30-foot designation is the historic depot. Is that correct? Yeah, 30 feet on the wings. Yeah. 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 Uh, then the new depot, I guess, is the blue with the 85-foot. Is that correct? Well, um, no. The, actually, the white color is the new concourse at 60. Okay. And the, so blue represents the commercial okay. development. Even more so then. So the question, with respect to historic depot, what do you see the, the use of that building, that structure? You know, you mentioned to a sandwich shop, mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. Uh, something a little more exciting, perhaps, uh, you had mentioned. Uh, what is the future of that building? given that it's so disconnected from the rail activities itself? Hmm. It's the same first question I got at Preservation Commission. I hope it's not T-shirt shop. <laughs> no, we've gone through that before. So the history on the building, what we set up, um, when the tracks moved, we, we all fought hard years ago to try and keep the tracks at the station, which I personally was involved in myself. And... And uh, the railroad, actually not the city, but the railroad wanted to move the tracks for, for their own reasons. So the phase two project that we did, we, we have basically four primary historic spaces, one being the, the restaurant um, on the west side, the main waiting room, of course, and two others. We restored all those spaces, but we, we moved Amtrak from the east side of the building where the 30-foot marker shown to the west side, built a new warehouse for them so we can open up um, retail and, and uh, leasing opportunities on, on their prior presence uh, on the east side. And we did that in a way that we called long-term temporary. The um, lobby uh, of the old restaurant is now the ticketing room, and that's been fully restored with uh, a new ticket counter that is designed as a piece of furniture that could be removed when Amtrak um, would would leave in in the future. Same with the restaurant; it didn't pro, it didn't make sense to create a restaurant there, so we have what we call a box within the box. There's actually a two-story space within the two-story historic restaurant volume that houses Amtrak's functions, and the warehouse was done um, with a building technology that is more or less disposable, recyclable. All with the knowledge that we would eventually have to move the transit function of rail closer to the tracks because the tracks and the, the inefficiencies for the operators and for 
the customer. So that does come back to the question, what is the use of the building in the future? And it's a question, honestly, that we don't know, but in terms of the transit function piece of it, um, it's going to be very difficult to keep transit use in the building. Um, we did have, inter we had set up actually in phase two, the, the east side, for kind of a market hall concept. That um, we has not come to fruition, but we did get some early takers back during cons in design that actually were interested if they had the whole building, and which kind of leads to more like the ferry building concept. So, Commissioner, I, I don't know the answer. I, I can pretty much guarantee that it's going to be difficult to have transit function in it. The question is really how do we best try and knit it together? And one of these schemes does a little better with that, the other maybe not so well, and I think there's even a future third scheme that you know, we can still look at um, of how we really frame and, and treasure this building, you know, not only from a cultural sense, but from, from actually a vibrant part of the, of the district. And while I think you had mentioned there are some private sector uses of the building, you know, to keep it within the public realm, it needs to be within the public realm. We've spent so much to restore a building that deserves to be restored right. and a job well done. But, you know, if it becomes an office building, uh, people will not feel welcome to walk through it to see everything that the city has invested in that building. Right. Uh, it is a shame that it will lose, and I'm not sure that once the tracks are moved, it was almost preordained that it could lose some or all of its uh, original function, uh, unless we're going to pick it up, roll it over, which was a scheme. Uh, right. I, a scary scheme, but it was. One of, the, one of the challenges, and I do not go there often, and maybe that's why it's a challenge for me, Parking is confusing. Parking is limited. How do you address parking in the development, briefly, in the scheme that we see before us? Where, where is the parking? Yeah, right. I, I really edited this down, so I didn't bring a lot of those, those slides. But um, the principle we're moving forward with is that um, transit parking will be held at the, the city garage that we currently have. I can... Underneath the freeway, outside of the frame there on 5th and 6th Street is uh, loosely being discussed another parking garage that would support the rail yards. And um, kind of outside the charge, we're, we're not looking at the rail corridor itself, but that will be subject of further study in the future. There is opportunities to bring uh, connection from Fifth Street down onto the track platforms itself. And that's kind of a, a principle of all multimodal stations is that even Grand Central Station, it's not one entry point. There's maybe eight or ten, depending on the size, of getting people to and from their, their trains and transit early. So we would be looking at multiple points to bring, which, again, doesn't enhance the that focus on the station, it's the, about the efficiency of getting to the trains and, and trackage, and most stations do do that. So the parking um, for the trans, transportation function is not going to occur on site in these schemes. We're looking at parking for the private use, the office and residential, 
but relying on the increase in service from uh, you know all the modes of, of transportation coming to the site and our existing assets and the planned assets for the other parking just off-site and just an observation because I understand this is going to take a lot more study and analysis and such but is it detrimental to uh, the function of moving people in and out to have parking so far away because um, I get the sense that it's it's well it, again and that's coupled with what what the proximities and the real real times are from the city garage um, there's incentive pricing for people to park there and right now um, it's not great for the wayfinding and connection and circuitous there's a few strokes I think when um, when the Jaboom Street comes down without even looking at the the freeways but just that infrastructure you actually will be able to walk directly from the station front to uh, the edge of uh, the railroad museums, you'd have a direct line path. And so those, those things will evolve and improve over time, but we have a lot of passengers parking in that garage right now. Um, but I think, again, we're really looking for the opportunities. A big thing, a, a big aspect of, of mobility at the station now is a drop-off. And we're really, we get a lot of, a lot of passenger drop-off at the station, so that's why, H Street in this in this first scheme um, scheme one really uh, focuses on H Street for for drop off and it's a very multimodal street we have bike lanes and, it, and it's very multifunctioning but I think that is where a lot of the energy is moving over time in in those connections and we and don't I, want to be a park and ride and we are sort of a park and ride now well and and to be dropped off takes some coordination, some planning and such. I mean, you're now dependent on someone, whether it's an Uber or somebody, but it, it is a little less convenient, and I guess I understand that. Uh, let me ask a question. I think I know the answer, but is there a possibility of eliminating the I Street on-ramp going north? Um, Just, well, whatever. We're looking at it. There's, really? there's, well, I mean, we're looking. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of focus. Caltrans is actually looking at this whole viaduct um, from an HOV perspective, um, but there's there's a lot of focus going towards this corridor. Um, there, there was a paper apparently about the L Street and relationship to J Street. So we're going to step back and and look at this and you know. There's a, there's a new deck, you know, to work with right now. Right, and I think it would help. You know, one of the struggles has always been the linkage or lack of to old Sacramento mm -hmm. and to a certain degree to the Golden, uh, uh, Golden One Arena and that. Uh, slightly different, maybe too far off topic, but I'll ask. Uh, there was a discussion of a 4th Street punch-through from J all the way to the uh, rail yard is that to strengthen the connection between uh, downtown and, and the rail yard or street punch through yeah from J Street going north no the, the what is occurring right now as we speak I'm on the tack for it is a is a small section between J and I for um, improving the connection and creating a place in Chinatown and that's that's something very important that uh, again, for time didn't didn't present on this, but uh, that pedestrian even bike linkage um, between the front of the station to J Street is very important. But 
beyond that as a punch through that, that would that would go through the station so no yeah no and i was referring between L between and front. yeah yeah okay yeah and and, and uli and others have looked you know even yeah extending that down to capitol mall and that linkage yeah that's not being currently studied now except for this one um, segment thank you thanks thank you commissioner Yee. commissioner lafalso thank you mr chair very exciting project a couple questions here and there I won't ask you about the mega region, so I don't steal Chair Burke's thunder on that. Okay. <laughs> but um, I actually have to back up. I um, Some of Commissioner Yee's questions were helpful, understanding what now that there is temporary. And my first reaction when I saw this was I didn't realize how many of the passages to the tracks were overhead. We have that kind of labyrinthine underground passageway system now. That That is all anticipated to go in favor of these sort of overhead platforms to the track? How does that work? No, thank you for the question. No, actually, the evolution we see in the phasing plan is that uh, the, the current uh, Steve Cohn passageway, and aptly named and supported, will translate and transfer into uh, servicing, unfortunately. I think Steve knows it, but um, the baggage function would would go below in that passageway to the tracks as the uh, passengers go above. So we, we, we're not throwing away the infrastructure, we're repurposing it. Okay, does that mean that the walk passage to the rail yards is going to be from above or from below? It will, in the ultimate, it will be from above. The, we're, that's what we're working on phasing of how that transitions, building part of the, the concourse. The, the, the hardest lift is obviously getting over the tracks and the longest to work out with Union Pacific and the coming state rail plan that looks at freight in a whole different way. There's a whole lot of moving parts from the, the rail side that affect us. Oh, no, I appreciate that. When I got a tour of the rail yards a year ago, roughly this time, we were doing our, like, third of five review and comments on the rail yards before our October action. Um, you know, I heard there was one, one of the visions of the entry point from the underground was some kind of graduated stepped up plaza and I can tell that that's probably seven iterations ago so even that little snapshot is very helpful in trying to follow where we're all going um, so I wasn't sure where we were going because the staff report only had three pages so I I went on the city's website and I watched that cool seven-minute video with the uh, I'll do a commercial for your survey that's due on Wednesday that's only has a uh, Four simple questions on options one and option two. All you got to do is watch a seven-minute video. So we if we don't we don't get to vote tonight, but we can vote between now and Wednesday online. Very much so. And down at the station this Friday, we're doing a little pop-up workshop that goes with that at the concourse. So please come down to that as well. I was going to ask you about that because your your schedule has a September. Where, where, where is that? So that's going to be uh, as you enter as you go through the main waiting room that. Indoor outdoor space is the concourse. It'll be right in that that area there. That'll be on Friday afternoon, uh, around 4:30 to 6:30, I believe. Got it. And then okay. the mayor's event will be just to the east of that, and what we call the green room, where the rampways used to go down, and that'll be on October 16th on a Monday. Appreciate that. Okay. Um, back when I was trying to figure out the rail yard, you mentioned in option two, was it option one? No. Was that, this is option one up on the option screen. Option one. You said something about a parking garage up against Fifth Street, kind of as it approaches the bridge to go over the rail yards. 
Yes, there's, I'll go back um, to the site plan here real quick. Yes. Um, if I can. You don't have a pointer, yeah. Okay, yeah, right, sorry. Oh, so much better. Thank you. For so this site and this site have been looked at for parking garages. Yeah. It seems like the gravity is moving towards this site as opposed to this site. Um, and that's still very preliminary in discussion, but that, that would be um, either one of those service the station via, via 5th Street. And I think it's really important to underscore that if you're on the ground, the way the bridges go up over the tracks, there's kind of these cavernous spaces there which aren't terribly good for building because there's not a lot of visibility around them. Exactly, right. And, and just while we're on that subject of the, of the heights, um, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, where G, so I-H-G, where that intersects with 5th, that's about 17 feet above grade. So we, that's kind of our mid-level into the plaza here mixer, but you have to be, you're at 33 getting over the track. So that's kind of a two-step. And that's where we may find a way, you know, you can kind of break and get the main part of the concourse built and then the, the over you know, connection would come later possibly in a phasing if, if we weren't able to do it all at once. You know. Appreciate this. Um, did I understand when you were discussing the use of the existing historic station in answer to Commissioner Yee's questions that the front of that station is likely to remain a Never mind, I'm answering my question. The drop-off point's going to move to, like, 8th Street, where it's kind of a skinny little street now, but that's going to become a primary access point to this evolving... In, in this point. scheme, yes. In, in option one, um, 8th Street is the primary drop-off for passengers and transit. Now, we did receive comments, I think, well taken. We're showing this as fully pedestrian in the front, but still the need for for uh, some limited vehicular access here to the front of the station or to the sides you know, we need to continue to look at and develop. Option two brings it all out here as in th this is the option two diagram um, to Fifth Street, which pulls the energy in a, in a different, it gives a new front to the station here and a whole different relationship. And if I understand that area, and I've been tootling around there trying to watch it evolve, the... Um that the G Street access that crosses 5th and 6th as the grade rises going to the bridge just got completed, I guess, probably like two months ago. Yeah. F Street, if I understand correctly, crosses 6th Street but then goes underneath the graded uh, access point to the 5th Street bridge. And then I think it's, it's kind of it's got a lot of don't go there kind of signage now, and it looks like it's here. Up. It, it fifth uh, F Street is fully at grade, um, even underneath the two, right underneath the two. Okay, yeah, it passes below, and uh, we that first segment is recently constructed um, by the developers as part of their charge to do Seventh Street and F Street, and it stops here at our property, and we're. we're trying to get a 
bicycle uh, connector in here to the station via the, the cycle track there. So forward to seeing that hopefully next few months. We'll so, so I'm sorry you confused me. You said at grade underneath. The, the, the F Street access goes underneath the... It, it just stays at grade. There's a, just the topography is a slight little rise, but it's, it's at grade and continues through. It's basically um, you know, the level of all the land um, on the station site. But it goes underneath fifth. But it's ta yeah, the bridge is bridge over it. There's there's actually a tunnel, sort of a tunnel structure at Fifth Street built over it. Okay, my mistake. I thought it wasn't different at Sixth Street. So the bottom line is under option two. The drop off point is going underneath that underpass, underneath along F Street, underneath Fifth and no, Sixth. No, no. Actually, it's it's at the level, the elevated level of Fifth Street, swooping. It has to swoop in a little bit to the to the station front. So this is all happening between about 20 and elevation 20 and elevation 30, connecting back between these two. So we find a level area here to drop off at the station, but this is all elevated. Fascinating. For that scheme. And F Street's at grade below, which is F Street is really not a public street. It's a transit way. It's carrying uh, the loaded buses and light rail. Okay, thanks for helping me figure that out. My last question is more a comment. So the survey asks basically, do you think option one is integrated with downtown rail yards and old Sacramento? Do you think option two is the same thing? And I can't help, I'm sure everybody appreciates that this land is so changing and the access points are weird, that walking it and applying the vision. But having watched the somewhat lengthy presentation of the city council about two months ago on the on old SAC and all that activation stuff they were talking about, you know, with the Ferris wheel and the whole deal, um, and the St. Louis arch, all that stuff, um, you know, they kept throwing up this slide of I Street access to um, old SAC with that you know yucky parking space underneath the freeway and. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, Sacramento, tell us what you want to be there. And just kind of integrating that with all of what's just to its north and that access point is going to be part of this access point. I don't know, anything you can do to help the public understand that in the context of this other discussion? Because, yeah. again, we do these things where, you know, there's a line that's artificial and we have a lot of plans that show what's north of the line and then a bunch of plans which shows with the south of the line. Right. But in the real world, you know, that line is meaningless. But, I mean, that's just a comment. And I understand everything touches everything, and it's not easy. But Well, and actually the people working, and Richard Rich, who's in charge of the waterfront, is on my technical advisory committee for this project, and I'm working with him on, could be on some of the gateway items. So we are, you know, working in collaboration and hopefully moving towards that direction of, of kind of a mutual new beginning for that gateway. I appreciate that. And I knew you were. I just wanted to highlight it. Thank you very much. Thank Look you. Look forward to your next um, presentation. Thank you, Mr. Chairberg. Thank you. Commissioner Fossil. Commissioner Ruddy for member. Thank you, Chair Burke. I'll, I'll try to be quick. First of all, great presentation. Appreciate it. I was wondering if you could go back to the slide about the neighborhood uh, comparisons. Uh, uh, Right. The map or the this one? Okay, yep. So just to be clear, 
In terms of the comparison neighborhoods, how how did we choose these these different areas in which we're trying to compare the, uh, the Sac Valley Station? Yeah, um, well, it, it this is comes primarily from data that our consultants have compiled in their projects and their studies. They they have a pretty strong research component in their urban design unit. Mm -hmm. um, one of our consultants, Grimshaw Architects, uh, did the uh, Southern Cross Station in Melbourne that was in that mobility slide. And so they've in the San Francisco comparison and Transbay, so these are projects that they had data on and were, you know, it, it showed a, a range but kind of gravitated um, towards towards this idea of what, what we need for that, that you know, diversity and intensity of, of street life and activity. And the Denver one is the Denver Union Station area or the urban core? Yeah, the the Denver is surprisingly low, isn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I know. I, I took note of that and probably should follow up with them on that of what data set there. Because Denver, as I sound like you obviously know, is transformed pretty rapidly. So I'm kind of wondering if that data is maybe falling behind a little bit. Right, because it seems like Denver's been one of the models we've tried to really follow. Yes, exactly. And for us. Right, right. Yeah, the rail yard and the development right in and around and integrated is very, very much a, a case study. Right. So, yeah, if you, if you can next time maybe come back with a little more information on that, that would be helpful. Um, can you go to the next slide? And then, again, the, the jobs to resident balance, it looks as if our number is going to drop um, to below that six median. And... I guess, is, is that something for us to be concerned about? Are there things that we can do to mitigate that, or is that really not much of a factor based on what your consultants have told you? Um, it, well, it's, it wasn't cited as, as concern. It's just kind of based on the data. And we've, we've heard from the development community, I mean, what we're showing on site is not the most aggressive schemes we could be taking. Um, we've heard... In our focus groups, we have a, a broad cross-section of, of over 50 people in our focus groups from both mobility and land use representation. And uh, what we're hearing is don't compete with us with, with the intensity here because we, you know, there is kind of a, right now there's kind of a zero-sum game. I mean, we, we only have so much in, in the catchment area. So um, we could be more aggressive on the, on the office, I guess if needed. So there, there's, I guess what I'm saying there's, there's room there to to grow that number if if the balance is. You know, I think it's kind of a market-driven scenario of going forward. So we we really we pulled back. We we had what we called the uh, enabler scheme and the catalyst scheme in looking at development, and we kind of backed off to more of the enabler for both of them, um, not to be competitive with. Uh, with catchment for the rail yards in downtown, and so we we know we could be much more aggressive on 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 the uh, densities on site. So, so, is there a risk in terms of being more conservative on the density side, particularly as we move forward uh, with the plan and with the environmental analysis of of not pushing the envelope enough and having to come back and and, and redo this analysis? Should the market become a little more aggressive and the market condition right. become more aggressive. Well, that that's actually we've got a kind of what we call our our bucket list of studies for this next year coming up, and one is going to be engaging EPS much stronger on the market side than, than we've done. We've been 
they have a pretty small uh, portion of the contract right now because this is meant to be pretty high-level conceptual at this point. So we're going to be digging into that analysis more. Um, and then just, I'm just going to sound like a broken record because every time we talk about the rail yards or the valley station, it, this is of interest to me. But I, I noticed in the community meetings you, you've reached out to a number of different groups, and I'm assuming Ames done a, a good job of bringing those folks to the table. Is there a concerted effort to incorporate the uh, the Chinese American history component uh, of the site, and, and how will that be reflected in terms of the, the end, end result plan that we see? Yeah, um, that's interesting you mentioned that because that hasn't been the focus here, but it, it definitely is in our uh, radar screen. In fact, we're working with the Sacramento County Historical Society um, just as of last week and Marsha Iman. Uh, to um, bring a plaque that the county is, is uh, repurposing the designation of the landmark for which is known as, um, you know, the, the old China Slough, Sutter's Lake area, and looking to see if we can do more than just a plaque, but kind of at the entry of the station and the engagement we're having with the uh, families and benevolent associations in old Sacramento. And we, we try to bring those project this project and theirs uh, together, in fact, at the public uh, forum, we'll have 4th Street represented in that project. So we're trying to engage that. And going back to the uh, rail yards plan of 2007, there was a desire it's in that was in the plan at that time. I'm, um, I believe it's still in there. I'm not sure, but about a, um, a Chinese garden or some sort of you know marker and heritage and cultural. Um, Resonance uh, to the site, so that's very much in play, and we're not at that level now. But but that's definitely a very solid, strong part of the history that needs to be maintained and, and celebrated. Thank you. Those are all my questions for right now. Thank you, Commissioner Valipa, member. Commissioner Ogilvie. Yep. Thanks again for a great presentation. It's I'm a little bummed that it wasn't part of our staff report, so we could have more time to digest all of the information in there. Um, is there a reason it wasn't in there? I'm just curious. Um, we just kind of took the point of just trying to be kind of uh, mobile because I was still working on the project and, and we're developing, so I just wanted to kind of get a snapshot, but I'm more than happy to come back and do some more thorough presentation. And No, I don't think forward. that's necessary, yeah. but, I mean, for this purpose, it would have been nice to have more time to okay. absorb all of the diagrams and stuff. There's a lot going on. Good. Um, I guess first I wanted to echo Commissioner Lofaso's comments and the direction I think where he was headed just, you know, looking at the connection between Old Sac and the river, it seems like a lot of the energy and focus is maybe towards the northeast and I've spent a lot of time biking and walking down there and the connection is is awful. Um, and it seems like there's that road that is maybe connecting to some building. Is that going to be a hotel? Is that what I remember? Uh, let's see. So, yeah, maybe I'm going the wrong way for that slide that shows the plan view a little more clearly. There we go. So, I'm just wondering, why do you have this sort of secondary road? Could all of the circulation be accommodated along? Well, the, as you as you know, going through there, there's a series of challenges and kind of a, a maze to weave through. Um, what we first contending with is we have two tunnels. This is the service tunnel to the tracks that tops out here, 
And then this is the pedestrian tunnel that has not opened yet because it's nothing to connect to. This is all built, um, this piece, but not open. And then we have this series of freeway columns, and we have a large concrete, about a six-foot thick wall here that we're hugging against to try and get and snake around. So that's, and, and then currently we also have a roundabout here for the bus that um, we're thinking of phasing and how the street evolves and streetcars coming through here. So there's some pieces that start to get set that we have to kind of respond to. So the consultants came up with this notion of, of kind of rotating the grid shift at 3rd Street here to be able to pull over, hug against the wall so it opens up as much aperture between the roadway and the, and the uh, pedestrian rampway and get as much through here as we can. We're showing, this is something new I didn't point out, but um, a long time in noting the River Museum uh, has, um, with the exception of the of the gift store, there's there's not a place to eat, there's no you know sense of, of where to hang out, and we're showing and, and talk to them about this may be an opportunity to engage something to the parkway and, and an asset amenity for, for the station and, and more of an active use on the backside. So um, I th this really hasn't been developed at this point in terms of the nature of the scheme, but you can see even with the southbound ramp, if it were to remain, um, you can get an at-grade connection right through here when you eliminate all the Jaboom Street infrastructure that comes up right basically in this line here. Right right above here is a series of bridgeways that come off the I Street Bridge. This all will be down and it goes according to schedule in about seven, eight years. So that will transform. So we're going to do as much as we can to leverage that and start looking at that more in detail. So that, you mentioned there's a pedestrian tunnel that's going to come from the tracks? That pedestrian tunnel... Yeah, that was built when the tracks were relocated. All this infrastructure piece here, and this is used highly by Amtrak for their servicing. But this is closed off because we don't have, it's basically an empty space over here that, that isn't open to the public. So we've had to keep this um, cordoned off, um, unfortunately, until something happens on the other side so there's a place to go and connect. Um. And you don't need to go back to this slide, but on the neighborhood comparison analysis, the planned population density was a considerable amount greater than San Francisco Transbay. Is that realistic? I'll, I'll go. When you consider the number of office uses down there, then right in the catchment area of Transbay, yeah, it's skewed heavily towards the office side, opposed to the residential. Now moving down... Mission Bay, of course, it, it changes dramatically. What was the radius of the catchment area? So we're working here trying to base this off of the half mile, um, not, in, not including houseboats on the river, but um, the area within that outer subscribed circle. Um, I know I've heard the answer before, but I don't remember. Why is the I Street Bridge not staying open for pedestrians or bicyclists? Well, there's actually a study just about ready to start that we're going to have a meeting on uh, that, that um, a grant that West Sacramento was able to um, succeed in, in uh, 
with with the with the study that's going to look at the parameters. I we haven't had the formal meeting, so I don't know the full parameter scope, but it is looking at keeping that as a pedestrian bike on the upper deck. Complicated by the fact that it's still a bridge owned by the railroad. Um, that's all going to be looked at, but uh, there is strong desire leading. Sac West Sacramento is leading that um, from their um, uh, bike and, and active uses group to, to try and create that kind of a high line connection. And we could easily connect into that with our bikeway along the, along the tracks as well. That'd be cool. That's all I have. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvy. Commissioner Fossil. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is just a commercial that uh, looks like the long version of your slides are on the project's website of the city under workshop number three. Yes. 39 slides, just for my yes, colleague's benefit. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank, thank you Commissioner Fossil. Oh, just, just real quickly, um, number one, yay, mega region, I think, as we plan, we have to think locally, regionally, and now mega regionally, I think the growth of commuters between the Bay Area and here is just gonna grow exponentially. Um, I use the station all the time. We go to San Francisco a couple times a month. Right. Um, and I've seen the improvements. It's night and day. Um, my second question or comment is, I know mega buses out there by, I think, Sac State. The Greyhound is on Richards. Is all that going to be consolidated into the, the station? That's our, that's our hope. I mean, um, mega buses come to us on several occasions. They came back. We were in construction, and it uh, wasn't an opportunity. They're, they're still interested in coming in the station. We're trying to work out uh, Yolo buses interested in, in a new line coming in. Um, but the way the, the eventual bus concourse is set up is to be able to bring in all carriers, public and private, that, as I mentioned, was kind of a gate system. So it's not a, it's not a place to dwell your bus, but to come in and be there at a specific time and to leave and, and move out. So we, um, we've tried to engage Greyhound and haven't really got uh, a full reply. They're invited to our, to our meetings, our focus meetings, but um, it doesn't mean that uh, Greyhound may leave Richards or maybe we could accommodate them at the station, I think, if, if they wanted to do a, a station in the future there within the complex, but it could be easily be set up that the, the they remain if, if that's the, the desire and then they come in and, and uh, pick up and, and uh, come into the station and, and move through. So, um, and that's part of this whole freeway connection of how the buses connect. We'll have to be looking at all that for, for easy access um, for our overall commuter um, network. But it was, it was amazing to me, our consultants counted all the the regional bus carriers, public um, bus carriers in the region, Eldorado Transit, E-Trans, and the number of routes coming in. There's 90 bus routes coming into the city every day and exiting. It was, to me, maybe others know differently, but that was that was kind of an eye-opening figure for me. So, um, and we see that probably to grow. The state is um, moving with their, any day now, state rail plan is due out on the streets. It's been delayed for a few months. Um, but it's moving towards a plan of much more network integration. Um, and they've got a new uh, person came from FRA and, and even the private sector before that who's charged with um, integrating between the rail and the pedestrian, much, uh, a network integration concept, even looking at schedules in, in different cities and commutes to, to line. 
trying to get towards a one-ticket uh, fare from your door to the train station. So more of European model and way of thinking. So that's all pretty exciting. Fantastic. That'll be a game changer when you consolidate all that and have a seamless transit experience. Exactly. Um, and lastly, I know you talked about planning for a hotel. What's the thought there? Because I, I know we don't have a hotel at Sac International Airport. We barely, it was pink. <laughs> we barely have a convention center hotel. So very what's the thinking of planning a hotel at this? Well, we've put it in, and I, I double-checked with the consultants before today. Just it, It's not in our commercial numbers. It's kind of a, an additive. We're showing it as a use. But I think um, it's, it's definitely been one of the uh, uh, more talked-about use at, at the site with the location of cultural and entertainment and, and transit. So um, I think that's definitely in the, in the mix. But we, we show it rep, as a representation there in the, in the plans, but nothing's been formalized or anything. Thank you so much. Any, any other commissioner questions, comments? Thank you so much, Mr. Taylor. Fascinating presentation. Thank you. Thank uh, you Sac Valley Station. Look forward to seeing you at our public events. Thank you. Thank you. Any public comment on this item? Hello, I'm Stephen Barasa. I'm the transportation chair for Ion Sacramento, and we've been, you know, interested in the SVS project. And, um, you know, I, I'm uh, amidst lots of uh, minds, uh, prevailing minds on transportation issues, and there's been a lot of concern about the project. And, uh, for example, currently uh, there's a negativity about it in terms of convenience for the the customers, you know, I, I went out there and looked on Fifth Street and I could see, you know, with the, the rail moving and I could see passengers uh, consistently running to catch their trains. You know, you just see it all day. <laughs> I was just there for a few minutes. So, you know, moving forward with this project, you know, it seems like the developers are looking at this as more of a neighborhood in a way with a sky rise, a residential sky rise, commercial. And I... And in my sense, it seems like this is more of a destination, you know, a regional destination. And uh, it's really important that customer convenience, serving transportation comes first. Uh, there was comments about parking. That needs to be very convenient. Access uh, needs to be very convenient. It needs to come first. And, you know, maybe looking at this more of a destination, uh, maybe shopping, uh, looking at other cities and what they're doing with this type of uh, intermodal station. So, you know, I'm a little concerned the direction it's headed. I still have a lot to learn about the project, you know, and, and I'm interested in it. Um, the, uh, now, the I Street on-ramp is going away, is that correct? Is it yes or no? I, I know you're not allowed to comment, I guess, but, you know, if the I Street on-ramp remains, there's no way for that streetcar to get in there, you know, currently. So I don't know what the plan is. Uh, you know, the streetcar can't go over the I Street or, and go under the, the uh, Highway 5 on-ramp. So I don't know if they're 86ing that completely. But um, another thing to consider is the Del Rio Trail. Uh, uh, there's uh, the rail line that's running uh, historical stock from the Railroad uh, Museum and they currently run along the, the river. Uh, you know, there's some discussions about making that a, tour, you know, a tourist line using uh, 
historical stock, rolling stock and uh, maybe even putting a station at the zoo, having a station at the Ford Museum. And this track does go all the way to the Valley Station, so that might be something to consider. Uh, and, you know, they're thinking of developing the Del Rio and removing the rails that go through Land Park, but they might want to look at that as well. Um, and as finally, the, the parking really, they really should streamline that parking situation. It's such a mess under there, and I hope they can clean that all up. Thanks for listening to my wild and uh, assortment of comments. Thank you. Thank you so much for your public comment. If you, if you may, there's a comment card on the back. You can fill that out and turn to the secretary. I will. Thank you so much. Any other public comment? Seeing none, we'll close this item. Um, any other member comments, ideas, suggestions? Seeing none, we'll adjourn the meeting. Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs>